Welcome to another edition of Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Good evening. How's it going, Derek? Going fantastic. Still, eh? Yes, always good. fantastic. Good, 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 good. Starting to see some early cold weather, though. Oh, I'm getting up in the mornings, and there's frost on the truck. I'm starting Great. to. I'm, I'm starting to get a little uh, fearful of the uh, Farmer's Almanac forecast of a heavy winter. <laughs> I'm not ready for the cold weather. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, this summer just seemed to go by so fast. But uh, yeah, no, I got to get up in the morning. Actually, my scraper broke, and I totally forgot. So I had to get in my wife's truck uh, a couple times now and take her scraper because I'm just too too forgetful and lazy to stop at a store and pick up a new one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, almost all the leaves are gone and, you know, doing the raking thing. And um, yeah, the, the, the cold weather's well on its way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's time of year where you're at work before dark and you're coming home in the dark. Oh, it reminds me of when I was a kid growing up, you'd be getting ready for school in the morning, it's pitch black, you get home after school and it's pitch black and it was a long drive, I was rural, so it was uh, it was always dark on getting home, it was just, it, it, unless you looked out the window of school, you just didn't even know it was daytime. Yeah, and I've got uh, no window on my, my office. Oh no? No, they redid our building and took my window. Um, anyway. <laughs> they stole my window. <laughs> Why they took my window? <laughs> Hello, police. <laughs> but no, it, uh, yeah, it's really gearing up for that, that winter hiking thing and, and whatnot. The canoe, you haven't put the last canoe away yet because, you know, there's still opportunity to maybe say, hey, going to throw it on for a day trip or something. But the way things are going on my calendar is filling up. I don't know if that's going to hey, happen. You, 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 because time flies so quickly, it's like, oh no, I, I delayed too long. Like yesterday, this year I, I got ahead of myself. I got my fish out of the pond early because I hate cracking the ice to get the fish out of the pond to save them. And, uh, I'm usually like trailering my motorbike into my storage unit when, when the snow flies. But this year, <laughs> I'm ahead this year. The fish are out of the pond and I put the motorbike in storage yesterday. Excellent. I'm excited about that. I'm way ahead of the ball. I still got to trim my trees. Yeah? Yeah. You have to, you trim them in the fall? Apparently you're supposed to trim them in the fall because they're getting too tall now. Yeah. And because that's when all the sap has gone into the roots. Oh, so it was less damaging? Yeah, or? apparently so. So yeah, I've got to trim the ter- The cherry trees are getting way too tall now. And uh, yeah, I, I got to trim them down some. Um, but never ending story of yard and maintenance. Yeah. You know what? We, I totally enjoy the cherries, but. You know what? Some days it's just not worth the hassle. But yeah, I got to do that. And there's still a couple little things. Uh, you got the uh, lawn furniture's away, and you know, just the rakes are left out. The lawnmowers away. We have you know done that for the last time, and um, tables are away. And you're, you're, we're the house is pretty much ready outside for winter. Everything's away except, like I say, the one canoe. But that's not not uh, absolutely urgent to be uh, <laughs> stored. But, you know, everything else is pretty much, you know, basically flip the light switch off, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of thing. And I mean, you've even seen down here all the the uh, gear I usually have spread all over the place. Yeah, it's all put away. It's all been neatly packed and put away. Easy access if I need it, mind you. But uh, uh, my one uh, headlamp doubles as a barbecue lamp during the winter. Oh, okay. We don't put our barbecue away for the winter. I I, I barbecue I all either. winter round. As long as the show the snow is shoveled off the deck. Yeah. I go out there, come home, and it, you know, yeah, you come home and you're you're already you know you get the barbecue started, and by the time <laughs> by the time you're you're out there and going, it's dark, and you need that headlamp to be able to yeah take a peek, make sure stuff is cooked and and whatnot. But that's the double duty. My headlamp is forced to uh, perform. <laughs> So, so I've been doing some uh, research this past week on different things and, you know, see what's out there and waiting for the, the shows to start in the spring, the, you know, the yes. outdoor shows and stuff yeah. usually start. I'm excited so. this year. It's like, it's uh, the, the winter season, like normally I'm a little, not that excited, but this year I'm, I'm thinking more and more, I think it's because of the show. I'm more excited about seeing new gear and tools at all these winter, uh, camping and explorer shows that you that uh, do the circuit throughout north america right definitely it's it's something to see i've been to i've uh, been to a lot of them 
a um, lot of opportunities to spend your money. Yes. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. There's some pretty cool stuff. And there's some other stuff you're thinking, that'd be cool. And when you actually look at it or buy it, you get it home, you're thinking, <laughs> I'm going to go ripped off. I'm going to go upstairs, look in the mirror, and see if I got the word sucker tattooed on my yeah. forehead. Because you're just looking, oh, why did I buy that? That was just dumb. I'm getting better at resisting buying all those gadgets and gear things. I've learned the lesson way too many times. Like, it's too easy to get fooled into some of these uh, cheap, hokey, snake oil salesman type uh, toys for the backcountry. And I've I've learned my lesson far too many times. I'm getting a little bit wiser. Slowly, I'm getting wiser. You mean like the old, put the AA battery inside this little thingy when you turn it on and you... It emits a high-pitched whine, which keeps all the mosquitoes away. Take it on your next backcountry trip. Guaranteed to keep the mosquitoes away. Did it work? Hell no. (laughs) 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 No, no, not in the slightest. (laughs) It only cost me 10 bucks, but still. Yeah. uh, yeah. I'm like, oh, well, this would be cool going down the portages. No bugs around. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, that sucker. (laughs) I'm going to go look in the mirror. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's lots of, uh, lots of goodies to be had and, and whatnot. So I'm waiting for that to, uh, to start. And that's still a little bit away, but, uh, we'll see. Um, was doing some research on, do you remember we talked, I mean, it's, it's been an ongoing thing with me, the, um, waterways, uh, that sort of stuff. Navigable Waterways Act. For yeah. Do you remember a couple shows ago, I talked about the, Right to public access in Sweden. Oh, yes. Basically, yes. you can go wherever you want. Any yep. waterways, whatever, no one can stop you. Um, just you've got to pay attention to where you are in relation to people's personal property being like houses and stuff like that. It, you can't, you can't go set up your tent next to somebody's house. Yeah, obviously. But it, they're very progressive that way for uh, access to the, to the natural environment. Yeah, and that's exactly... You, you can camp on, you know, on the shoreline if you want. I mean, you can't overstay your welcome. I mean, there's a some respect stuff there and some courtesy. Um, but I came across something from Canoeing Ireland, which we've I'd- sort of touched on. Um, sort of the argument, who owns the waterway, um, especially in North America. And I mean, stuff that we've heard and, and read down in the States and um, stuff that we've seen in Canada ourselves uh, with water bodies and being closed off and people saying you can't use it and, and whatnot. And the argument's going, can we, can't we, blah, blah, blah. In Ireland, um, when a river flows across land, no one owns the water, the actual water. No one owns the water. Yeah. And I think right? that sounds familiar. However, if a single landowner owns the land on both sides of a section of river, that landowner owns the bed of that section of river and the airspace through which the river flows. Well, that's not very progressive. That's the part that got me. Yeah, okay, you know what? Yeah, you you own they don't the shoreline, but they actually own the bed. Yeah. Now this is so if Farmer Bob owns 10 kilometers of land Uh, and that river goes through that 10 kilometers. He owns the land up to the river and the bed of land under the river. Up to the adjoining bank where some other farmer owns it. Unless he, well, if he owns both sides of the river, if so going right through his land. So he doesn't own the actual water that flows. He owns the land underneath. But he owns the airspace that the water actually flows through. So basically, unless you're actually in, under, water, below the surface of the water, but not touching the riverbed, (laughs) you really can't say anything. That's, That's a little ridiculous. That's what I'm getting at. The landowner can prevent trespass on a river the same as if somebody was walking across their land. Trespass can be asked to leave by the nearest convenient route or by whatever is considered convenient in the eye of the landowner. <laughs> Reasonable force is permitted. Wow. Uh, uh, wow. 
that's, gets... not, that's not very progressive, is it? No. That's, uh, I, I'm surprised. This is Ireland. This is, it's not like we're talking about, uh, I don't know, I, like with the way people protect their land, like in the U.S. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like the U.S. is much more progressive than these guys. And we were thinking some of the things we're reading in the States and hearing about was like, wow, well, this is, this is worse. Yeah. Um, it gets a fraction more complicated when there's a different landowner on each bank. So if you own one side of the land on one side of the river and I own it on the other, it is presumed the boundary is the middle of the river. So basically, if somebody's coming across the river and you don't want them there, but I do, as long as they're on my half of the river, <laughs> they can go through. Or huh. vice versa. But if we both don't want them there, then the same rules apply. Unless they're Get snorkeling, out. then they're fine. Unless they're snorkeling. Well, I don't know, because if that snorkel sticks above the surface <laughs> into the air you own. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, now, they go into talking about the rights of navigation on lakes. Okay. So it goes beyond just the rivers. If you own all the property on a lake, then you have the right to tell people you can't go on the lake. So you own basically own the lake. If you right. own all the sh water frontage, then you own the lake. Right. Uh, well, not the actual water. The bed <laughs> under <laughs> and the, the water or the, the air over. And the airspace. Right. Not the actual water. <laughs> and that not, belongs to and the fishes. The and not the actual air. Right. Um, but if there is a lake and it has, say, 10 cottages on it, all 10 people own, and they basically say a wedge of the water. But because everybody owns it, everybody gets to paddle on the lake. Okay. But. <laughs> if cottage owner number one is this rich, rich, rich fella, and he goes to cottage owner number two through nine and says, I will give you this much money to give up your rights. Oh, you can buy the other person's rights to the... Exactly. So, so he are we, are has... talking water rights? Just the shoreline rights and the actual, you can't, navigation rights. So what if you wanted to start some sort of business? Well, there is one thing they talk about where uh, a water sports service provider bought a side of a bank of a lake. Okay. And was canoeing all over the lake. But the f other guy that was there had bought the, uh, paid all the other landowners for their side. Huh. Which means he really wasn't allowed to go boogieing all over. But that one, um, they call it the invested, the repair, riparian, riparian right of navigation for the vast majority of the lake. And this guy that owned all this navigation rights <laughs> opened a commercial fishery. So the guy that was just canoeing so all like over the a lake. salmon farm. He used yeah. like pen stocks. Yeah. So you can actually buy all that. And the one guy who didn't want to sell is basically screwed over. Wow. Yeah. This just goes into my, my long interest in finding what the rights are in other countries and stuff now, like that. Do you that. know how that would compare here? I don't, we can't buy water rights here, can we? I don't, I don't think we can, we, I don't think it works like that here. Huh. I mean, that's part of my, my research that I'm doing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from what I understand, you have rights to the shoreline. Mm -hmm. You don't know the bed underneath and you don't control the the air over top. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's free as long as you're floating down the river then you're good. All the hassles seem to come when someone wants to portage around a barrier. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's the no-no because then you've got to land on their property and cross their property. So if there's like a, a, a hydroelectric dam or some sort of dam, mm -hmm. you need to get past the dam, you... If it's actually on Joe Bob's land... Land... You're not, and he doesn't want you landing on there to go around the dam. So you have to jump over the dam. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> but he doesn't actually control the bed or the air over top saying you can't even come on this river. Yeah. 
right? So, and there, I think there's a difference. But that was pretty, uh, pretty eye-opening seeing that. Yeah, that's strange. I like it's. It always amazes me, and I wonder. I wonder what the backgrounds of these rules go are are originate from. Because I think that would be something interesting to find out in itself. Because you would think that such strict uh, accessible waterways would be. Um, there's got to be a story behind it. There's got, yeah, it's got to be something from. I'm sure it's got to be from way back though. Yeah. You know, I mean, just saying who owns what and. Yeah, like I said, you can't own the river, but you can own the airspace which the river through which the river flows, mm-hmm. which is odd, strange, eh? Yeah, I huh. guess that. Yeah, I mean that would just pre- stop people from floating anything on yeah. the water, huh? Which is weird, but that's the way it goes over in Ireland, apparently. Um, Unusual, eh? If you have permission to access a river across private land and have permission from the landowner of a section of river, then you have the law on your side to paddle that section of river. Um, if you cannot, yeah, you cannot trespass on a river if requested not to by its owner. If you persist in trespassing after being requested not to by the owner or their agent, you are breaking the law. So you could plead ignorance on a first time through, but... Yeah. Any subsequent trip, if if you've been warned, then then you're in the wrong. You're yep. doing something illegal. But what gets me is if <laughs> this would be a tricky one. If you are you paddle upstream five kilometers, and dude doesn't see you coming through his property, huh. and then you're coming back and he catches you, he can tell you, no, no, you go right back the way you just came, which is five kilometers away the from wrong, your in vehicle. The wrong direction. So where are you? How are you getting back to your huh. car? There gonna be a tricky one for you. Oh, that's a pain in the butt. Eh? So, so yeah, we we know what we're doing here in 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 North America and what happens. Then we saw, like I say, total right to public access in Sweden, and then we sort of backed up into to Ireland here. Hmm. It's it's all over the board, all over the world, depending where you're coming from, which is which is uh, totally. So you just can't land on the shore, and that's the big thing. But speaking of, I mean, we, we were talking about man-made and legislative yeah. barriers to landing on shore. You ever been on a canoe trip, and I'm sure we all have, that you have Mother Nature's not landing on shore ability? Oh, so like shoreline, it's whatever difficulties you can't yeah. get ashore. Well, yeah, I've been, there's been a few times where I remember one trip we came out of a portage and uh, it was low water and we just had this mud creek. So this is up on the Sturgeon River, and uh, we had to, and we were up, <laughs> it was it was stinky, it was really deep at some points where we were up to almost our hips in this mud, Ugh, yeah. but we had to do the mud because it was such thick bush and forest around us that you couldn't push a canoe through the trees. So we had to go through the mud to get to the water because the water level is so low. Yeah, it's uh it was brutal. It was like a it was an impossible barrier that we had to make our way through. There's a ton of different um things. What got me started on this is uh I saw an article paddling the Everglades Trail and one of the things the guy came up against was crocodiles. <laughs> Could you imagine you're in your kayak and you're going down the Everglades and this is pretty cool. You know what? Hey, look at this. It's lunchtime. Let's just pull over here and you can't because there's a crocodile. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to be paddling in one of those crocodiles. And then you start watching the TV shows and you see this stuff about, uh, I mean, Florida has that big, um, the pythons. Oh, yes. Right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Could you imagine that sitting there eating your lunch and big it old python comes by? Like, I'm sorry. That's just. Oh. Like, I start picturing that sort of stuff, and it's just like the old Jaws movie. I ain't going in the water. <laughs> um, but other natural barriers, yeah, the swamps. And I mean, we've come across this sort of stuff where you're thinking, yeah, let's, let's pull on up here, and you're going down the river, and it's just swamp all the yeah. way on the on the side. Nice clear river, but the sides are all mushy and swampy. And, yeah, so you'd have and, to get out and tow the canoe and up to your hips in mud. Yeah, and there's that, uh, 
I never know what to call it. The bog. The, the bog stuff. The floating bogs. Yeah. Yeah. And then you so you get out. Okay, we'll step on this, and you start sinking. And the whole thing sinks. And then yeah. the whole thing sinks. You, know, you can't get back in the canoe fast yeah. enough, and <laughs> whatnot. Um, huh. That's definitely a, an issue. Some of the stuff, uh, the Big East River, and even uh, we saw the pictures this week from the Yukon, um, the high sand banks. And oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, like two feet from the water, and it goes straight up, all sand. You're not getting up there. Uh, those are those are other barriers that you're going to come across. Animals, yeah. Cliff faces, Barren Canyon. Yes. That was a you're, big You're not getting out of there. No. I mean, where do you go at that point, right? Yes. But, uh, yeah, no, I just just thinking about this and different types of stuff that, you know, we, like I say, you're talking about... Uh, the legislative barriers, and then you start thinking about natural <laughs> get barriers. stuff. This is the natural barriers. It's pretty difficult to land your your craft <laughs> between Mother Nature and the law. I don't know, you know, where you're going to go next. But yeah, it's uh, some pretty some pretty interesting reading, that's for sure. But yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be sitting there, mind you. I mean, we've we've had moose on portages. Yes. Bears. Yeah. Um, oh, I remember one trip we were coming in. I think it was Daisy Lake, and it was a uh, it was a windy paddle through a marsh to get mm-hmm. to the portage, and there was a uh, there was a female moose and her calf in the waterway that we had to paddle, and we waited for the longest time for that moose to wander out of the canoe path, and then when we went by, it was like it was a little nerve wracking because you didn't want her attacking you. Yeah. And you also don't want to disrupt them, but she was standing right in, it, it was like uh, cattails and, and, and uh, just reeds and whatever. And we had, there was this windy route and it was like, she was right there. Yeah. Nice. We've, we've come across that where there's, cause it's wide open at, the, at a portage, right? Yeah. So that's, they just wander right down and. Yeah. And in, in you go. It's perfect for them. Yeah, definitely is. You but and them. <laughs> we, <yeah. laughs> we've also come across, uh, you know, you're going down these windy Things you see the portage sign off in the distance, and it is a total sloggy mud, swampy, sinky, and there's no way that you can get through it. You can't get out of your canoe mm-hmm. and, and and walk because you'll just sink and you'll go like neck deep, um, and you're just inching your way, pushing your way through. Yeah, you know the the two years or whatever in the canoe just and the inevitable oh. wall of mosquitoes. Yeah, and a and <laughs> oh the barriers it is so hard to paddle some yeah. days i tell you everybody's against you why do we do it <laughs> <laughs> there's some sort of benefit i can't figure it out i can't figure it i can't put my finger on it right now <laughs> well let's take a quick break here and we come back let's talk about tools that we take while we're paddling you are listening to paddling adventures radio on reno viola outdoors Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. Now, Derek, talking about uh, canoes and and uh, whatnot, you're getting them put away for the winter. Uh, you do your repairs and upkeep of all your gear and stuff. But let's talk about tools you bring while you're paddling. Yeah, it kind of sort of fits into our previous topic where we talked about barriers to this and barriers to that and, and difficulties out paddling. And, and it, it does... Uh, we had a discussion offline about this, and it's... Uh, Everybody has their own preferences for what they want to bring and how they do it. But often, like, and when we were comparing notes, we, like, we were talking about, like, 
stuff that we bring us like we both do almost the exact same thing and it wasn't it's not like we shared the idea it's like we either sought somewhere else or we came up with it our, our, ourselves right you picked up over the years yeah yeah so like one of the things was uh duct tape on a water bottle like yes. I've, I've been doing that for years it's uh, I, it's always my water bottle that i use my tra- put my trail mix in and so it's uh, it's not a water water bottle. It's like it's for trail mix or chocolate or whatever. And uh, and it's I've got like I must have like twenty five feet of uh, of uh, different kinds of uh, duct tape on that bottle. I've got some tarp repair tape, some duct tape, and some Gorilla tape on it. And you know about fifty elastics, whatever. It's it's a water bottle that I always carry with me for camping. It's it's one of those tools that it's just it's in my bag of tricks for camping. Yeah, because things are going to happen every now and then, and you've got to be prepared for it. Oh, absolutely. Now, the elastics I've never thought about, but um, no, the, I, my water bottle has uh, black um, duct tape wrapped around it, like I don't know how many feet of it. Yeah. But there's enough that if, if you were to bust a hole in your canoe, I think you could make yourself a brand new canoe. And I had somebody <laughs> ask me why I put it on the water bottle. It's like, well, I have room for a water bottle. I don't have room for an entire roll of duct tape. Yeah. So and that's I mean, what's, where the difference what's, is. It's just like a core Yeah. for your duct tape, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah. So it's, and I've seen a few people do that. Um, but yeah, the, things are going to happen and you've got to have the gear to repair, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, one of the big things that they came out with, I don't even know how long ago now, but all of a sudden it was like a fad and everybody had them, the Leatherman multi-tools. Yes, Right? Like, I guess Gerber's got them and, and whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the multi-tools. Everybody all of a sudden had a multi-tool. Well, it just gives you that. It's it, Instead of having a bag of tools, you have everything in one. In yeah, one and I mean, it opens up. There's pliers. There's screwdrivers. There's different knife blades and, yeah, and everything like on this. Back in the day, it was uh, what they call it, a Swiss Army tool or... Uh, What's the brand of it? It's like the Swiss Army knife. The type Swiss thing. Army knife, yeah. But there's also another name for it. But anyways, so you, you know you, those things were the original Leatherman or the original Gerber multi-tool, and uh, now we actually have something that's a little bit more practical. But you have pliers and you have screwdrivers and knives and scissors, and it's it's so handy. All everything is in one, and it's like a decent, high-quality tool. Like uh, my uh, my Gerber multi-tool is like it's perfect. It covers all the potential issues that you could have. And I've, I've actually repaired, uh, canoes, you know, where you have to, uh, unscrew a, a yoke or take a thwart out or, or fix a, uh, a, the boat seat. You know, it's, it, there's so many options that it helps you with. Yeah. Well, not even your, your canoe or kayak or whatever. Um, your gear at your camp, you yes. know, general stuff like that. Yeah. You got to fix a, a stove or uh, a light, a headlamp or something like that. Exactly. You know, you, the, the multi-tool is perfect for that sort of thing. There's all these little things that can go wrong. Now, one of the things I used to carry all the time, and, and I don't anymore, is a sewing kit. Yeah, I I used to do that too. I, I, I don't know why or how I got away from it, but I, I think in, well, for me, it's uh, why bother sewing something up if you can slap a piece of duct tape on it? Well, and that's sort of what I went with. I mean... If I rip a pair of pants while I'm out there, back in the day when I first started, well, I'll need a sewing kit to make sure I can sew that up. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, anymore, it's, no, I'll just throw a piece of duct tape or something on it. whoop de doo I got a rip in my pants. Yeah, exactly. Um, if I rip, you know, a, a, in my tent, if I, if I rip the side of my tent or something, like, well, I will sew that up. Or if I get a rip in my life jacket, I'll yeah. sew that. Just throw a piece of duct tape yeah. on it. You know, that's... Duct tape has replaced my sewing kit. And I, like, I used to carry a sewing kit, but I've, I've, I can't recall a single time. I think splinters. The only time I ever used ne- the, the needles in the sewing kit is for splinters. I've never used it for sewing. So no. it's just uh, one of those things. It's like, well, why, why am I going to bring this? And I always do, I don't know if you do this, but at the end of every season, like, I always think back on all the trips and I look at all my gear and I think to myself, I've never used, you know, Equipment piece A, this, uh, I've never used this. I'm going to stop carrying it on canoe trips. Oh, I blame the Boy Scouts for that. <laughs> <laughs> Be prepared. Take all this. Take just everything. Because you everything. never know when you might need 
eh, whatever. Exactly. And then you say, oh, no, you know what? I might need that next trip, so I'm going to leave that one. And you never need it. You've been doing that for 15 yep. years. You Absolutely. never used it. Leave it home. Yeah. And then that one trip that you do finally leave it at home <laughs> is what, it. man, I wish I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's, um, the other thing is string, cordage, and rope. Yes. And I differentiate between the three. There's string, now I've had string, um, Glenn Peterson, we went on a canoe trip, a uh, 10 day trip, and one of the seats broke. So we he had this thin string, but it was so strong, like an injured en- engineered lineage or uh, something. Yeah, and we ended up having to s- use the string to wrap around a stick. Okay. To keep the 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 back of the snoo- the the canoe seat straight from collapsing. Yeah. yeah. Right, and this was a super strong string. So what did you tie it to? Itself. Like no, I mean like. To hold the seat up, what was it tied to? The seat. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we put the stick against first. the seat, right? Yeah, and then just wrap the string okay. around it. The reason I ask is because I've I, there was uh, a couple trips where I've had broken seats, and uh, so the seat broke off. It was that L-shaped aluminum bracket that holds the uh, seat to the uh, to the gunnels, mm-hmm. and so that L-shaped bracket broke. And to keep the seat in the upright position, we wrap the cord around the seat, around the entire outside of the canoe, around the other side of the seat, so that we always we always had these lengths of uh, cordage that <laughs> were it was like a like a little frictional slow to the canoe down. So thing. tied to the edge of the seat, yeah, over the gunnel, under the hull, and over the other over side the, the other gunnel on the other side, yeah, tied to the other side of the seat. It was both sides of the seat was broken. Awesome. <laughs> and you could hear the cordage uh, humming on the strumming on the bottom of the canoe if you got the canoe going fast enough. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I have... It worked. I have a... Um, and I, I learned to do them because actually my 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 big pack, sea uh, line pack has one as well, is the wristbands with the yes. cord. You can yeah. weave those to make a nice... And you get a little clip that you can clip together so where does the bracelet whistle right? on them yeah. or fire starters or well i made one of those for my wrist just uh sorry no i bought that one for my wrist and i figured out how to make them afterwards in case you need one yeah you know you got this bracelet whatever but you can undo it to a long piece of i think it's like 20 feet piece of cord or yeah. something like that and i actually put one uh i made one and it's about 40 feet of cord um it's the para parachute cord paracord, right? paracord. Yeah. Non-stretching um, and strong. And I use it as a bottom handle on my sea line pack. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when yeah. I'm putting the, grabbing the canoe, the pack out of the canoe, I got a bottom holder yeah. for it, right? Because mine didn't come with one. I guess some of the other versions did, but mine didn't. Um, so yeah, you got, you, you, you always use cord for something. You need string for tarps or whatever. And that's, that's a great thing to bring. Um, but yeah, broken seat, broken hole in a canoe, definitely, definitely mm-hmm. duct tape. Yes. You know, broken paddles, duct tape. Yeah, a little string. duct tape or some string. Yeah. You put a splice in just like you broke your leg or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the multi-tool is is the big thing. Um, but yeah, between those, the duct tape, the string or cordage, mm-hmm. um, and the multi-tools, duct tape, string, cordage, multi-tools. Yeah, Those are like the fix all of everything. It does yeah. everything for your, your canoe, your kayak, exactly. your gear. Yeah. You know, I've never had any major gear malfunctions while I've been out there. I've broken a paddle and I, really? I, I split the paddle right up the center. Oh, yeah. So okay. I just had to wrap it with some cord to hold the, uh, hold it together. Right. Because it was, it went up the blade and up the shaft. So it was like right down the middle. It was, couldn't have broken any better. It was easiest fix. Right. Right. But uh, I never didn't break a shaft or something. No, I never broke the paddle in half or anything like that. And uh, the I've never, except for reattaching a yoke in a in a canoe seat, I've never I've never hold a canoe. I never slammed a hole inside of a canoe. So I've never had to patch a leak. No, I've never had to. Now, I've I've um, cracked the side, but it never went all the way through. It's just cracking the yeah. I've done in the too. fiberglass yes. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, there was one time where we were trying to get out and all of a sudden we got wedged between a couple of rocks. I thought we were cracking that thing in <laughs> half, 
but uh, a little bit of quick thinking on our behalf, and um, we managed to escape without any injuries to the to the canoe itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've 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 been in the stern seat, and somebody in the bow seat was a bit heavy, and we hit some massive waves. I thought he went right through the bottom of the canoe, but <laughs> just the seat broke. Oh yeah, the seat broke right in half, and huh. down he went. Was that Mark? No. <laughs> Sorry, no, Mark. somebody is just a bit bigger than him. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it, that was. But I mean, I, I think it was partly the wind, the weight, and the older canoe seat. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it needed to be repaired. Those often the aluminum uh, L brackets that hold a seat up on modern canoes. It's they're, they're one of the weakest points, and I've seen so many fail. Oh, I've got a whole box of rivets and a couple of rivet guns. <laughs> I used to have to uh, fix every so often. You just put a new rivet in yeah. because they're yeah. That's that's exactly what failed the most. Yeah, is those. But uh, yeah, I've never had any massive, major. Been lucky. I've been lucky too. Very lucky. But you still bring all these things along with you just in case. Well, because the the catastrophic uh, results to your canoe trip. If you put a hole in your canoe and you don't have duct tape. Well, that's a problem. You're trying to figure out how to do pine tar and uh, and you know what? I've always wanted to <laughs> see if that would actually work, and how long you could make that work. You could probably make it work. I mean, that's that's what they used to do with the canoes. How they used to build birch yep, bark canoes. Absolutely. So I don't know why that wouldn't. So part of you is thinking if you're on a long canoe trip and you want to, and something happens, you'd be able to do that. I think it'd be and fun save to, the day, sort of thing. It'd be fun to try. It would be really fun to try. I wouldn't want to have to do it, but if I did, I'd have fun with it. That would be one of those stories when you get out of the... <laughs> say, oh, man, I can't believe we punched a hole in that thing, but we picked all this stuff up just like we saw in the movies. and Birch bark Birch patch. bark and, and the, the... Pine the, tar the pine and all that sort of stuff mixed with some ash and <laughs> heated and spread over and it worked like a charm. Oh, we're so great. We're fantastic. <laughs> it worked. What a story to tell our great, 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 great grandkids. <laughs> It would be cool. <laughs> it would be, but uh, hopefully, it, hopefully it never happens. Exactly. So, but uh, yeah, you know what? There, there's there's not a lot of stuff I bring for for repairs and whatnot, like tool wise. But yeah, it just seems to be like I'm saying the multi tool, um, some string and cordage, and uh, yeah. the duct tape. And mm-hmm. the duct tape, like I say, is one of the easiest tricks I've learned. Is just to wrap it around the water the water bottle. bottle yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I used to carry a whole roll of duct tape. It takes up so much room. And if you oh, don't it use does, it, it's, it's just heavy. a, it's a yeah. pain in the butt. Yeah. But you don't even notice if it's on your water bottle. Not at all. Not at all. And I know which water bottle is mine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, all right. So make sure that you've got those sort of things in your, your kit, whether you're going canoeing or kayaking. And uh, you never know when they might come in handy. You don't want to be stranded without it. And if you have your own ideas of your own little gear ideas, repair ideas... Drop us a line and let us know what you do. Like you guys have contacted us previously and gave us some ideas, and we'd like to hear back from you guys some more. Definitely. So let's take a quick break, and I think we want to come back for the last thing of the day is talking about, which I've done already, and you're really about to. I'm probably the, next year is probably going to be the big, big year of it. On the cusp. Paddling with kids. Yes. Good times. <laughs> Hey, this is Sean Rowley of Paddling Adventures Radio. When out on the water, a bad map can lead to a terrible paddling experience. That's why when paddling Tomogamy, Killarney, and Algonquin Park, I've come to rely on Jeff's map. If you're looking for a waterproof, tear-resistant map with paddling routes, portage data, historical points, and much more, then go to jeffsmap.com and see the maps I use. Available in print or in a downloadable format, jeffsmap.com. Paddling with kids. I've been doing it for a number of years now. Almost <laughs> almost 20 years now. Wow. Because the kids were little. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can be a lot of fun. Can be frustrating at times. Uh, but there's ways to get around it. There's ways to make it fun for everybody, the whole family. Um, you got to realize at the beginning... You're going to be doing all the work. Oh, yes. The kids are there just because mom and dad are taking them out. Um, they don't really know what it's all about yet. 
and could get bored pretty quick because, you know, the kids' attentions are not lasting too long. Uh, we found in the beginning, we started with day trips, uh, take the kids out for a day. You know, most usually when we were camping, you know, we take the trailer or whatever and, and we go camping. And that's and what we, we're doing now. That's, that's about the stage that we're at. Like the, the furthest I've gone is uh, a rock lake right along the Highway 60 quarter on Algonquin Park. Mm-hmm. So that's the f- deepest we've gone with the kids into the park so far. And well, when they're still in diapers, I don't want to be lugging around a bag of diapers and attracting animals to the camp. So yeah. I'm staying close, keeping the trip short. And to, and next summer, they're both going to be out of diapers. Becca's just finishing up that phase now. So when when they're both out of diapers, it's that's when we're going to start going deeper into the backcountry and stuff like that. Because I I don't want to care. I don't want to lug around a bunch of uh, pampers, right? So. Yeah, well, you gotta yeah, you gotta haul around the clean ones and the dirty ones. Exactly, yeah. So and the dirty ones are usually heavier, <laughs> much heavier, yes. <clears throat> but yeah, it's uh, the kids are loving it. Like they, they, uh, my three year old, like I've we've had him camping once or twice this summer, and and it, there's like he he's constantly asking camping, camping, daddy. It's like he loves it. He loves getting out there, and and uh, he, he likes the campfires. The you know, it's all the fun stuff, right? The marshmallows around the campfire and this, that, the other thing. That's what's attracting him, I think. Yeah, and I don't know any kid. Actually, I, I know one kid that's not big into it. Uh, but most part, I don't know any kid that turns that sort of thing down. Yeah. But again, if you start out with day trips and get the kids into the, the, the paddling experience and then build them up for the, from there. Now, you got to remember, the kids, you got to keep them interested. Mm-hmm. Be it a, a, a lot of breaks, like more breaks than you'd usually take. Yes. Food and snacks. You know, if they're paddling along, they get bored because you're paddling and they're sitting in the middle. Throw them a, a, a Nalgene filled with a trail mix or something, you know. Come up with a little game for them to play, like, you know, what do you, can you spot the, the, the birds or stuff like that? Keep them interested in it. Um, eventually, you're going to be able to work these, the kids up to multi-day trips where you're paddling all day. And you camp, and then you paddle another day, and you camp. You know, you build up to it. And, and At the what kids... age were your kids to that point where you could do like a multi-day trip, and you're traveling multiple hours a day? 10? Um, oh, the... before ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before ten, uh, they would sit. They would sit in the middle of the canoe, and I mean, we would we would paddle, and they'd sit there looking either. And they were their job. Keep the dog calm. <laughs> yes. Scratch them. Don't let him jump out of the canoe. Stuff and, you know, and they could look around and we'd have one face one way and one face the other way, like side to the sides. Okay. So they can each see different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the snacks are big. Breaks are big. You know, get out, stretch your legs or whatever. The por- They love the portages. Yeah. You know, that sort of stuff. Well, it's always everything's so new and interesting to them. Yeah, stop somewhere, go for a swim. You know, like you got to break up the day for. And I mean, when I go on cross country trips or you know big trips with the family when they were kids were young, yeah, the same th- rules apply. Stop every so often, let them stretch their legs, let them get out and see something. You got to keep the brains moving. They get bored. Oh, that's when it just goes downhill fast. <laughs> You're in trouble. Yeah. Um, you got to keep it interesting. You got to keep them involved at one. I, I honestly don't know when it started, but m- my wife would sit in the canoe in the middle and watch the dog and Mackenzie would paddle. He would sit in the bow seat. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Eventually Ariana would, they'd take turns. Um, I mean, eventually it became the two of them in one canoe and me in another sort of thing. But, uh. I don't even know what age it started where they actually were starting to paddle. Well, Stella's, I we bought Stella a little tiny paddle this year. She's six mm-hmm. and uh, she dips the paddle. She kind of pretends the paddle. She's not really doing much and you can't really do much, do much from the center of the canoe anyways. But yeah. uh, she's, she's demanding, but she's always been a very independent kid. Like it was, it wasn't very long before she was demanding to tie her own shoes and stuff like that. So I think Beckett's going to be a little different. He's a little lazier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one of the other things I know when I go on backcountry trips, 
now my wife being a an ICU nurse is very you know wash your hands and all okay yeah let them get dirty let them play in the dirt let them play in the trees let them play yeah yeah I mean you don't you're camping yes they're gonna get dirty let them stay dirty see Beckett's such a loving he'll sit in a mud puddle and play and then it's like you're not getting into that tent. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, we used to be, oh, you got to go wash your hands before you eat. And you're just having a cookie, like, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of stuff. Let them get into the dirt. Let them have the fun and all that sort of stuff. And when they know that they can do that sort of thing, yep. is real, oh, we're going camping. We're going to get dirty. Yeah. And, hey, Hands on. This, they get to do stuff. Do that. I can grab a snake and not yep. get in trouble for it. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of stuff. You know, yes. terrorize my sister. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, they love it. If you can make them happy while they're out there and you can keep it interesting while they're out there, they'll definitely, definitely be into it. Oh, yeah. You got to give them, um, the make them feel like they're a part of it. Yeah. We, uh, on port, like we did just, some day hikes where we did a portage mm-hmm. we got them to carry something got them to carry their own water yep. and whatever so they they got to participate we it wasn't an actual working portage because we went to one end and then came back again because we weren't actually portaging to the next lake we were just getting them out for a day from rock lake type thing right yeah so it, but it was practical they got to see some hiking and paddling and and interesting stuff for them right so it was it was fun all around and I think that's where Beckett is really starting to get interested. Stella's always been interested, but Beckett's just this year getting interested and in continuing on his little adventures. Well, we've had a lot of adventures over the year. And one of the things I'll, I'll really say is you're going to get frustrated with things. Oh, I remember. And you just got to think to yourself, they don't know yet. Exactly. All this stuff. Yes. We went on a day trip. We were going to, there was a bunch of people. It was one of the um, Algonquin Adventures uh, get togethers. And I figured, you know what? I'm going to take my daughter up and we're going to go in for a day trip. Because, you know, people, oh, it's always, yeah, you're, you're bringing your boy, you're bringing your boy. Every, everybody was bringing their boy. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to bring my daughter for a change because she loves getting out there. So I brought her. We had a day trip. And. I had the canoe on my head. I said, okay, well, I'll follow you. Stick on the, on the trail. Well, she ended up going off the trail into a dried riverbed. Oh, yeah. And thinking that was the trail. And I looked up and I'm like, oh my God, we've been on here for far too long. <laughs> Where are we? And I'm looking, I'm thinking, this isn't a portage. <laughs> and you know, at one point you're sitting there thinking, oh, you gotta be kidding. But she didn't know. She yeah. saw a wide open space and said, oh, well, that's it. And apparently you weren't paying attention. And apparently I wasn't paying attention enough. I've given her, you know, you know what, you lead, I'll just follow you. And I said, nope, you know, and you, get, you use it as a teaching experience, not a frustration experience. Yeah. And then, oh, okay, so you go back and yeah, you're a bit, you know, oh my God, I got to go all the way back now carrying this <laughs> canoe and the gear. Ah. And, uh, but you know what, had a blast anyway. And we got to where we were going at the end of the day, you know, and had a good day and come back out the proper way. She had a huge learning experience. Uh, but that's what it is. You got to make it fun. Got to make it interesting. And you really have to make them feel like they're a part of it. Yes. Or they'll get bored really fast. And the next, hey, you know what? Yeah, you just sat in the canoe all day. but And I paddled and, and you looked at this and you looked at that. You want to go again? Not if I'm just going to sit in a canoe all day. <laughs> if I'm just going to sit there, I can sit there at home and do that. So definitely get them out, get them yes. involved in it. So far we've had them, and with, with car camping and stuff, it's pretty easy to find uh, facilities and stuff for them to do because there's always, every park in the summer has kids programs and, you know, painting this and cutting up that and whatever, right? And uh but next this next summer is when we start going into the backcountry with them. And so it's going to be us trying to entertain them all day. So that's where I'm going to have to get up to speed within some little projects that we can get them interested in so that we can distract them from their boredom. You know what I found works? When it comes to safety, yep. you can teach them stuff on safety. And it's not really teaching them safety in their minds. They're learning some skills. And with my son, the big thing that worked with him 
yeah. is building fires properly and oh, safely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now when even to this day, I mean he's he's almost twenty. When we go camping, he wants to build the fire. <laughs> and he, he takes pride in cutting the wood and getting the kindling and setting it all up and getting the fire going. <laughs> and that goes from way, way back we we taught him that. And yeah, you you teach him the knife safety. You teach him the axe safety, yes. the fire safety, cooking safety. You know, like mm-hmm. when you got the little burner going and stuff like that, your portable stove, you got that going. You got to be careful. And you, cooking over the fire. And we, to this day, if we're at a camping, even if we're trailer camping, we cook over the fire. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The kids love it. They get involved. And to this day, I mean, like I say, Mackenzie's almost 20. Ariana is, almost, is 19, or, or almost 19. And... They still love to go and they still love getting into all that sort of stuff because we taught it to them from a young age. Mm -hmm. And if I have anything to say to you, that is it. Sit back some days, sit your butt in a chair (laughs) and say, you know what? Build the fire. You're in charge. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they know you're keeping an eye on them and you give them pointers, but you don't have to do everything for them. You got to involve them. Yeah. Paddling with kids is totally doable. And I would really suggest that people do it. You know, I get out there and do it. So that's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> so I'm I'm hoping you guys have a great time next year. Start planning now and get the yes, kids ready. we are. So anyway, that being said, I want to thank everybody for listening this week. And again, check us out on Instagram and you can find us on Facebook. Check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. And thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>